everyone, welcome to the Midtown Midweek where we take our sermon on Sunday and we talk about it more to equip us so that we can live out being a Jesus-centered family on mission. I'm here with Pastor Alan Tipping. Hey, Alan. Hello, Jake. How you doing? Good. Glad to be here. I think it's my first podcast, so we'll see how it goes. You're going to do great. To recap, we talked about 1 Timothy chapter 3. We talked about the role of elders, also called overseers, pastors, and the role of deacons, and really just talking about how our church operates. And there was a whole lot in that sermon that we unpacked, really showing our people just behind the curtains, how we how we function as a church and why it's good and beautiful and why we want to be a part of that. And there was a whole lot that we didn't get a chance to share on Sunday. So Alan, I'm just going to throw it over to you. What were some things from the sermon that you wanted to include? Yeah, I think one of the, the first things that I was reluctant to trim, but just needed to for time's sake, was uh, it kind of comes out of the passage from First Peter uh, chapter 5. It says, shepherd the flock among you. And we were at a conference, I think it was 10 plus years ago, and we just heard a pastor talking about that, and he was one of the ways he unpacked it was, I don't know if it's theologically correct, but it was really sticky, because I remember it for 10 plus years ago. He said, pastors should smell smell like their sheep. Mm. And it was like, ah, that that makes really good sense to me. Like if you are among the sheep, if you know them intimately, then you smell like them. Now, obviously I'm not something other. I'm a sheep myself. So of Mm -hmm. course I'm going to smell like a sheep. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just that, that mindset of the way we do ministry is highly relational. And so uh, for us, that, that sets the tone for how we want to pastor and lead in the context of relationship, knowing people uh, where they're at, what are they struggling with? How is God working and moving and growing them? Like we want to be intimately acquainted with our people. And so I, I just kind of, I, I was looking forward to unpacking that a little bit uh, because I always thought it was really sticky. Pastors should smell like their sheep. Yeah. And that's one part why even all the pastors are all in life groups with other members of the church. There's no stratification between leadership and our members when it comes to daily life. We're still. We're confessing sin. I think just another beautiful thing that we do. Yeah, and it's, I, I would say, one of the reasons why this time period is really hard for being a pastor for us in our context is I don't get to be around people like I want to. I'm, I desperately miss seeing people. It's just a lot harder to be amongst people when I can't be amongst them. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I definitely miss that and look forward to being back together with people, yeah. crossing paths. Yeah, absolutely. What else didn't make the sermon? So part of being a church planting church, we've kind of had had to or been forced to develop a church planting network. Um, we call it Grassroots Network. It's named after a book we wrote a long time ago about what does it mean to be in groups and in community and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, we were doing a, a board meeting and it's fairly new. So we are just trying to talk about who are we as a network? Like what defines us? And one of the things that uh, Chet said, he's a, a pastor over at Mill City. Uh, he trained under us. We had to, to send him out. And one of the things that, that Chet said that makes us unique is uh, in our process, uh, we are highly relational. We are character driven in, in training up pastors and we're uniquely slow. And I love the way he actually phrased it. He said it's because we don't want to co-sign stupid and we don't want uh, to see church planters fail. 
And I, I think for us, we are so intentional about developing leaders. We feel a, a big urgency. Like we have to do this both so we can sustain as a, a downtown church, but also so we can continue to plant other churches. Uh, but even in our urgency, we don't want to rush the process. We want to be uniquely slow because character really matters. And character takes a lot of time. You got to get to know people. I, uh, the one of the other ways that, that Chet said it is, I want to see you through a season of durability. Like, I want to see you when you get confronted. How are you going to react? I want to see when uh, something negative or a bad circumstance comes away. How do you deal with it? When you're fighting with your spouse, you know, all those different things that come up that uh, reveal so much about us. It just takes time. And so I think that's a big big aspect about the way that we develop leaders is we're uniquely slow because we really do believe what Paul is saying in first Timothy chapter three is that people need to be proven and tested before they have official titles and roles in a church. And thinking about the great commission, we want to be Jesus centered family on mission. We want to see churches planted everywhere. We want to see people come to know Jesus and to raise up leaders. The more we can spend time with them relationally with them testing their character. I think the more exponential their ministry capability is going to be. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really easy to, Hey, you, you seem to know how to talk to people. You're, you're good looking. Yeah. Get out there, <laughs> man. Here's some money. Play at the church. You'll figure it out. If not, Hey, it's all good. But again, just another beautiful reason why I love what we do. Yeah. And you know, uh, part of it is, uh, if we commission somebody as a planter or a pastor, we are saying you can follow this person. And so there's a level of I'm accountable before the Lord for who I say our people can follow. So yeah. I, I take that really, we, we take that really serious. Um, I, I think kind of even related something that I didn't say in the sermon was for every one of our pastors, every one of our pastors in training, every one of our church planning candidates, it they all started as join a life group. Like no one skipped those steps. They joined a life group. They uh, became a core group member. Uh, they became members, core group members. They yeah. became leaders in training, life group leaders, coaches. You know, like that's all part of our process. And then in addition to that, our pastor in training is minimum a year and a half uh, but that's all because a lot of what we're doing is highly relational. It's character forming, and we got to spend time with each other. We got to know, can I trust you, both in your character and in your competencies? Like, are you able to do the job that God's calling you to do, and are you qualified to do it? Yeah, that's good. What else didn't make the sermon? Uh, the the one I, I thought about putting in there comes from Jim Collins in Good to Great, mm -hmm. and he talks about this flywheel concept. And I, I think I'm going to say this right, but a flywheel is just this like huge wheel. It's really huge. And uh, the goal is you just incrementally push it and you, you keep pushing. And, and oftentimes it takes a lot of effort over a long period of time to push it. But at some point in time, as you keep pushing, its own natural momentum takes over. Mm -hmm. And so you push and all of a sudden the, the wheel starts spinning and it actually spins begins to spin on its own with ever increasing momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason I wanted to bring that up is I think that's how a lot of our leadership pipeline works. It, what we see now and some of the numbers that we were celebrating goes to, you know, 
years back of those incremental pushes, <laughs> incremental pushes. Yeah. Uh, and so now we're spinning and we're able to just produce lots and lots of leaders and move people through our pipeline. Uh, but that all of those numbers reflect the effort that happened years and years and years ago. Uh, and part of it is the more we've been able to empower people uh, and you know, develop them, empower them, employ them, then they're taking on responsibilities and that frees us up to train up more people. And it just kind of has this momentum to it. So I, I think that's a cool way to describe our leadership pipeline and the, the way to even celebrate it is, man, there's a lot happening and it seems like it's happening quick, but it's, it's kind of that flywheel mentality. Even when you were talking during the sermon that in the last 18 months, 200 members, that's it's wild. In, that's incredible. <laughs> it's wild. It's awesome. I mean, it's really exciting. Uh, it does lend to our transients, though, because uh, we haven't grown numerically overall as a church to reflect 200 members. Mm -hmm. It means that, you know, on the back end, people are transitioning out of Columbia and away from our church family. So it is like awesome and I get really excited, but it also makes me a little sad because it's like, yeah, we're just, we're still not... <laughs> technically growing. Water. I don't, you sure. know, uh, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, it's, it's sad, but I, I mentioned it in the sermon. It does afford us a unique opportunity that we've just, instead of, oh, we still lament it, but only lament it. We embrace it. We get the opportunity to continue to uh, imprint the DNA God's given us to be Jesus-centered family on mission to people, and we keep scattering them. Some of them intentionally, some of them not as intentional. But either way, the DNA gets gets uh, scattered around, and so we are grateful for that. Yeah, I was thinking about the time when we went to Oakland two years ago now, and we all uh, churches broke up into this workshop, and you had to write what is your church's biggest problem, and all these other churches <laughs> and high leadership. Uh, is going to give you input and feedback on what they would do to help fix your biggest problem. And we put transients and how Columbia is in the top five most transient cities in America. And everyone else's was raising up leaders or or something to the effect. But then when they got to us, they just all, <laughs> here are these high level <laughs> leaders across the country like, yeah, man, I don't. I don't know. That, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe plant somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, Can I don't you know. Do this over? <laughs> uh, so, uh, just a PSA: stay in Columbia. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. yeah, make Columbia home. Mm -hmm. That's right. Another question I want to ask you: as you were studying this passage, uh, how did it impact you devotionally? Yeah, I, I think the biggest way is you know I'm reading these qualifications that apply to me as one of our, our pastors, overseers, elders, and just even talking about, you know, one of the main points of the sermon is pastors lead by example. And the way we always talk about it is, uh, again, this happened at a, a conference 10 plus years ago. We mm -hmm. heard a guy speak, I think it was Wayne Cordera, and he said, you can teach people what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And we've just tried to embrace that, um, realizing that if we don't exemplify these characteristics, there's no way we can hope that they will happen in our church family. And so as I'm reading through them and kind of going through the text, it's like a gut check. Like, do you do this? Are, are there any areas in your life where you wouldn't want our church family to follow your example? Uh, and so that's a, 
It's just gotcha. it takes some good personal work. It it leads me to some repentance and uh, confession and you know all that kind of stuff of where am I not living up to this and and so it's just always challenging. It's good to continue to look at and uh, re embrace. This is the call. This is the standard. And and me following that way of Jesus, it's not just impacts me, but it it actually impacts our whole church family. And so it it was a good challenge for me personally. Yeah, Paul. Going back to be imitators of me, follow me like I'm following Jesus. So the spotlight is not on me, but I want you to actually see Jesus working in me and through me. Yeah, and that. But the the good news is, uh, if I want our people confessing and repenting, then I need to model that too. So it, it is helpful in that as I look through it and confess and repent, then they also model and see. Yeah, he needs a savior just like me, yeah. and he's just modeling. This is how we progress. We continue to uh, confess and repent and grow. Yeah, which is really freeing and humbling. It takes this this aura of professionalism, perfectionism that I feel like pastors are perceived to have. They need to be the ones that have it all together. And the reality is, no, we are normal people too who also need Jesus a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we have so fought against that. Like, we just want to be normal, every every everyday, ordinary guys. Uh, and I... I I value that. We like, we really like that. We intentionally confess from the pulpit. We confess in life groups. We're part of life. You know, like we are whatever the church needs or we want to see happen. We want to model it. We want to participate in it. There has been some element though, like just even as we are teaching it, part of being a pastor is an overseer that requires authority. I think in some ways we've undercut our authority because sometimes people are like, yeah, you're just an everyday ordinary guy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but I also uh-huh. have been charged with authority to lead um, our church family. And so, I don't know, I, I could probably talk three or four hours on the implications <laughs> of that. We don't uh-huh. have time for it, but I think that's one thing. It's uh even though we're everyday ordinary guys, it doesn't negate the authority God's given to us to shepherd, to lead, to correct, to push, you know, all of those kinds of things uh, that sometimes make being a pastor difficult. Yeah. Even uh, Hebrews 13, that obey your leaders. They are going to have to stand before God one day to give account for your souls. So follow them with joy. Yeah. So yes, your pastor is a normal guy who needs Jesus. And also, be cool. <laughs> just, just be just cool. Be cool. <laughs> Trust them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, another thing that just kind of popped into my mind or are thinking about it as I was studying is, you know, reproduce who you are. Like I see it the most in my kids, you know, <laughs> I would say some of my kids' most annoying habits, they learn from me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like, it just, it it pierces me every time. It's like, you're doing this because you saw me doing it. And it's really annoying. <laughs> like, you should stop yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so I think oftentimes that's, that's part of pastoring is, oh, you're doing that annoying thing. Reproduce who you are. Oh, man, maybe yeah. you learned that from me. Uh-huh. And I need to deal with me first as we call you to follow. Yeah, that's good. Anything else, Alan? Oh, the last thing is, uh, as I was prepping and just kind of praying through stuff and really looking at deacons and think thankfulness of deacons, just as kind of Paul ends that, that whole section of giving honor to those who lead. Um, 
I just really start thinking about our coaches. Those are the the deacons, uh, those who who fulfill a deacon role that I'm most closest to. I meet with regularly, and thinking about those men and women and the way they've led in our church, the sacrifices they've made. Uh, I just became really thankful. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm thankful for the way that they love and care for life group leaders, their willingness to intervene when things are difficult, their willingness to be present when uh, things are out of whack, their willingness to confront sin uh, and to call people towards repentance. It's just all those things that are are difficult to do. They are doing it with me and we get to do it together. And uh, we are more effective and we're better as a church family because of them. So I just, uh, I got to spend some good time praying uh, over our coaches and, and really by name and just thankful for for them and what they bring to our church family. Um, yeah, that, that, that was a big aspect for me. Yeah, that's great. And just to even go back on Sunday as you ended the time to really be thankful and encourage your leaders because leadership is really hard and draining. And right now we're doing this and we're all quarantined, but a lot of people in our church are still leading and still having to lead from a distance. And it is incredibly difficult. So if you haven't already, encourage your leaders or encourage them again. They're not going to complain and say, hey, you've encouraged me too much. That's enough. They will love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we all need it. And the Bible says that encourage one another daily, as long as today is called today. Outdo one another. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, we, we need it. And we live in a culture that's just not prone to encouragement and thanksgiving. So I think our leaders need it. Everybody needs it. But yeah, this week in particular, encourage leaders, especially if you've seen God work in their lives to grow them or ways that that God has used them to grow you. They would love to hear it. We don't, leaders don't get to hear that enough. And I think it would be awesome if we overwhelmed our leaders with thankfulness. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to end. So thank you so much, Alan. Appreciate it.